Hello and welcome to Giving Ventures, a podcast to help you grow your giving and change the world for the better. Each episode, we share innovative charitable efforts leveraging private philanthropy to solve public problems. I'm your host, Peter Lipset, Vice President at Donors Trust. This show is a product of Donors Trust, the oldest and largest donor advised fund focused on helping conservative and libertarian donors of all capacities simplify, protect, and grow their giving. My colleagues and I talk with a lot of groups doing great work. This show lets us share a bit of what we learn with you so you can discover new projects for your own philanthropy. Will Gen Z be the death of conservative ideas, or is it going to be its savior? You know, every generation worries about the one behind it, so there's nothing new there. New issues come up in different generations because of world events or lived experience take different views of those issues. The advantage to having a conservative worldview is believing that perhaps there is something to be learned from the past, rather than to overgeneralize the progressive ethos of doing what feels right in the moment. Those timeless principles have to be taught, though, from the values and benefits of Western civilization to the power of the free market, on to principles of federalism. Who is going to instill those ideals down? Well, the three groups we're going to talk to today, that's who. Today we'll hear from Forge Leadership Network with its unique focus on creating a pipeline for getting talent into the states rather than just into D.C., You'll hear about the David Network, a unique community of conservatives inside and emerging from the Ivy Leagues. And finally, we're going to hear about Adam Smith Society, a project of Manhattan Institute working at business schools around the country. I'm a big fan of all three of these groups, and a half hour from now, I think you will be as well. So let's jump in. I've been eager to share this first group with our listeners for some time, the Forge Leadership Network from its home base up in Ohio, mentors, trains, and connects young conservatives, equipping them to lead in politics and culture and in business. It's only been around for a few years, but it fills a valuable niche for building up young conservatives. Forge's energetic co-founder and president is Adam Josephic, and he is here with me to help us understand everything that Forge is doing. So, Adam... There's a lot of groups that have a very similar mission of training young conservatives. It's a pretty broad umbrella. What is it about your mission that really differentiates you? Yeah, thanks, Peter. Thanks for having me on. One of the main differences and uh, unique areas that Forge is filling in the conservative movement is uh, having a long-term way to invest uh, in select groups of young conservatives over a long period of time. So there are a number of organizations doing great work that introduce conservative ideas at one time or one-off events, uh, but there's not the long-term follow-up where students are offered long-term personal and professional investment or the opportunity that Forge gives them to have a hand-picked mentor uh, who is both a principled conservative and excellent and strategic at what they do in the public arena. So uh, with Forge, we really set out to have a world-class uh, training programs, but then to have those training programs uh, have a have a longer-term focus on allowing us using the training programs to identify the young people who we want to invest in over the long haul. This is you know who we're going to invest the social capital in over the long haul uh, with really formal and personal mentorship, um, with uh, bringing students back together. 
or for deeper training uh, in our nation's capital and even abroad. Uh, and, and then these handpicked mentorships in which uh, a leader in the conservative movement will actually devote six to eight months to mentoring them as well. The, the other aspect that's really different about Forge is that few young conservatives, it seems, that have are working in or have a long-term vision for their state. Much of the young conservative talent is drawn to D.C., uh, but doesn't make it back to the states that are so crucial to our nation's future. And so Forge sets out to, to use a baseball analogy, Forge sets out to be the farm team. Just as Major League Baseball develops its t- talent through its minor leagues, Forge sets out to, be the, to build a farm team, a pipeline of young conservatives who become equipped in order to impact their states. So Forge really has a state focus on really developing a pipeline, a farm team um, to replenish, improve, and expand the ranks of the conservative movement in the states that decide so much of our nation's future. And then lastly, who we're serving has also been uh, you had a unique aspect, uh, unique quality to it. Over our history, uh, we've drawn most of our participants from rural or blue-collar parts of America, many parts of the country known as the Rust Belt, right? I'm talking to you from just north of Cincinnati, Ohio. So, you know, many parts of the country known as the Rust Belt. Uh, One third of Forge attendees over the years are piecing together community college or a two-year online degree while they work 40-hour-a-week jobs in their hometowns uh, to pay for that education. This is a unique trend in the conservative world since, you know, most national organizations draw heavily from the coasts or other kind of elite um, affluent institutions. That's really, I didn't actually realize that statistic about Forge, that the farm team aspect is something I've always really appreciated about it. So, and then this pipeline is of course the, the, the magic sauce of it. So walk us through that journey of a young person who's coming through the program from kind of identification or opting in through the different levels that are potential until they're, you know, out there in the world making a difference. Yeah. Our goal is to really identify train, uh, mentor, and then help launch these young conservatives to, to be a farm team, to use my baseball analogy, to be a pipeline working in the in the conservative movement. And so th- the way that we go about this, I'm actually going to illustrate this with one of our with one of our students, Savannah. So Savannah had been interested in politics and the pro-life movement specifically, uh, but she she never thought she could work in it. She didn't know if she had the skills or like where her uh, entry path was to actually work uh, in politics and in the pro-life movement, but it was more, it was more something that she followed, something she believed in, uh, and something that you know she paid attention to and voted for. But that was until uh, Savannah was recruited uh, to the Forge Leadership Summit. Like many students, she was referred uh, by a former uh, grad by a graduate of the program, and she was recruited uh, to the Forge Leadership Summit. The Forge Leadership Summit uh, through that week, she was exposed to speakers on timeless principles like limited government, ethics in, of life, economic freedom, and more. But she was also part of a mock legislative uh, session held in the Capitol, in the state Capitol in Columbus, Ohio. She was part of a campaign team competition training uh, that simulated where she would learn to run a political campaign. And uh, she heard talks on how to stay principled uh, in politics while still being effective um, at the same time and, and develop practical skills training like media training. Uh, public speaking, and more. So uh, for the students like Savannah who attend our Leadership Summit, we then select the standouts to really accelerate their careers uh, through a year-long mentorship academy. Uh, And and they get to be part of, Savannah was chosen to be part of this year-long program uh, where we focus on three major areas, skills, 
mentors, uh, and as well as deepening their, fortifying their convictions. So first, we, we train them and we train Savannah on the skills needed to be successful uh, with their first job in politics, communication, writing, and leadership skills. For, for Savannah, this meant media training and helping her learn the skill of speaking in powerful uh, sound bites and powerful narratives that she could use uh, when, in, when in especially often hostile interviews uh, as she was a pro-life speaker on her campus. Second, we match them with a mentor who's working in the part of politics that they're interested in. Um, a number of these mentors are people you'd recognize. For Savannah, she was paired with a well-known uh, pro-life leader, Allison Centafonte, uh, who helped her understand how to uh, be a spokeswoman uh, in the pro-life movement. Through Allison, she was introduced to other uh, leading organizations in the pro-life movement that she aspired to impact. And then, and then most importantly, we create experiences that uh, cement and fortify their convictions and also even as deep as their faith. So uh, from her trip to Israel to her time in D.C. meeting with uh, leaders who have kept the faith while working in government, uh, Savannah was able to meet ambassadors, members of Congress, presidents of leading conservative organizations, even U.S. senators, uh, and, and through Ford, she was able to travel to Israel to get not only America's role in the world and international relations and understand the geopolitics of that region, uh, but also deepen her, uh, her faith. Savannah now works full-time as a government relations position, lobbying members of Congress on behalf of the pro-life cause. She's a spokeswoman in the pro-life movement, and she made the most of that media training doing over 20 interviews uh, when the Dobbs decision, Supreme Court decision, was announced. And what's a really powerful uh, testament, uh, Savannah said one time that God gave her a voice and forged was instrumental in teaching her how to use it. So this is the story of Savannah. This is the story of hundreds of other graduates uh, who have come through Forge, who have been identified and recruited, who have then been trained, uh, who have then been mentored by incredible leaders in the conservative movement, uh, who have gone to D.C., who have gone to Israel, who have been helped with internships and jobs, and who now have both the skills to succeed uh, in the public arena, but also the relationships, the friendships and the mentors and the network needed to stand firm. And for years, you just had the one leadership summit uh, up in Ohio every year last year or this year. Uh, you launched a second one for the first time, is that right, in Nashville, Tennessee, and doing that again next year, uh, which is very exciting for those of us who think the organization has a lot to offer. What does that expansion allow you to do, and how does it continue to expand? Yes, you know, that's, that's, uh, it's allowed us to, uh, to really increase our, our, our national presence. It's, it's, it's opened new geographic doors, and it's, it's given us more ways for students to connect with us. It's, it's allowed, um, you know, we doubled the amount of applicants we ever had last year, and we trained 50% and, and will mentor 50% more uh, young conservatives than any previous year. You know, one of the, one of the great aspects of having uh, this expansion summit uh, has been the ability to then um, start uh, working on building farm teams and building talent pipelines in more uh, key states across uh, this country. So what we're looking to do in the future is to have regional forge summits. And, and out of those regional forge summits, that'll those will seed cohorts of the year-long mentorship program from uh, specific states. Our, our goal there would be to be able to raise up uh, young a pipeline of, of these young leaders uh, from the key states in, in many of the critical states that are impacting our national outcomes um, in a way that actually builds multiple farm teams 
from multiple summits. So to give, you know, hypothetical examples, you know, out of the Nashville summit, you know, bringing in a cohort of Georgia students, North Carolina students, you know, Tennessee students, and, and therefore being able to build a farm team in Georgia, start building a farm team in Georgia, in North Carolina, in Tennessee, out of Ohio, out of our traditional location, you know, building Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, uh, maybe Wisconsin. And we're, we're in the early nascent phases of that, of being able to recruit a critical mass and build cohorts from specific states, but that's the way this will grow. Uh, we're we're in, it's it's not sustainable nor advisable to have you know fifty Forge Leadership Summits every summer. There there frankly aren't enough weeks and aren't enough <laughs> you know aren't enough you know days in the week to do that. But what we can do is have uh, Forge Summits in each region of the country that are then seeding uh, cohorts uh, from each state that can build on each other each year as more and more graduates get plugged back in uh, to that state's conservative apparatus. As we wrap up here, I want to kind of leave the students for a second, actually talk about the the adults that you mentioned, these mentors. You know, you're getting a network of really top-notch mentors involved. I'm curious what the impact is on them and what the feedback is you get from them. Yeah, it's been, it's been humbling to see how many leaders uh, in the conservative world are, are, are wanting to pay it forward and who are wanting to pay it forward and, and, and invest in young lives. It's, it's been incredibly uplifting and incredibly encouraging to see that. You know, our, we've had very well-known uh, people and leaders in the conservative movement who have agreed to mentor a young person, you know, one-on-one for six to eight months. And what we ask the mentors to do is to, to we, we try to make it very clear so that they have a very clear expectation of, of what the mentorship will entail um, in terms of the time commitment. But what, what we ask them to do is mentor a young person to have six to eight conversations over the, the course of six to eight months to recommend a couple books or other resources. And if their profession and their schedule allows for a type of shadowing opportunity or invitation to extend that opportunity. But we have seen this work uh, extremely well. We've had over a 90% acceptance rate of the first mentor that we identify as wanting to be uh, the ideal mentor for that student. Uh, but yeah, we've, we've seen uh, a lot of folks who have then hired Forge graduates. It's, it's amazing how many of the mentorships have actually turned into helping that young person network and, and, and find their next opportunity or even that has you know turned into a really an apprenticeship of sorts uh, to where even that mentor has has you know hired or helped that young person you know be hired into the conservative movement. We've talked for years that I've been around the conservative movement of needing to build a a pipeline and different organizations moving people into other organizations that do different things. Um, and that works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't, but it does seem that what you're building with Forge takes a lot of that into itself and creates an internal pipeline that uh, hopefully will turn out a lot of great leaders for the future. So Adam, just have a really glad that you and Forge are, are out there doing this. Thanks so much, Peter. Thank you for the great work of Donors Trust. Here's a surprising secret. There are actually conservatives on the Ivy League campuses. As we regularly see in the news, they are not the leading voice, but they are there, comfortable in their beliefs despite the hostile environment. But just because they are secure in their beliefs doesn't mean that they don't value community, and that is exactly what David Network offers. Modeled to an extent after the Federalist Society, David Network works at the eight Ivy League schools plus Stanford and MIT to build community among these little islands of conservative thinkers and to build a pipeline for them into the corporate and conservative worlds. Joining me to tell us about 
this is Noah Sofio, who runs the David Network careers arm of the organization and heads up alumni deployment for David Network. Noah, the need for such a group at these elite institutions is obvious, right? Um, given their progressive bend. I'm curious how it came together, though. How did the, the folks who started this up, how did you all find each other originally and, and begin to grow it? Uh, well, first, Peter, uh, I want to say thank you once again for having me on the podcast here. And obviously, we're big fans of your work. So so thank you very much. And now to actually answer your question, uh, the David Network began as a pan Ivy League group that marched together at the March for Life. And what we saw when we got together was, wow, you know, there's a lot of us here. Uh, and maybe we can do more than what we thought. And so we did. We set out to do that. Uh, today, our march has grown to a conference which involves gathering over 500 students from across the Ivy League, Stanford, and MIT at the Museum of the Bible, where we get to interact with conservatives in several fields, uh, such as business, politics, and law. And uh, names we've had in the past include uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, Mike Pence, Eugene Scalia, Betsy DeVos, and others. Uh, But Peter, after we graduated college, we realized that our mission didn't end on the college campus. Uh, In fact, it truly only just begins. And that's something I am looking forward to telling you a little bit more here today. Is there a faith-based element to it? I mean, you mentioned the March for Life. You mentioned the Museum of the Bible. Is that inherited or is that just kind of happenstance? Yeah, absolutely. So look, we we hold true to our core principles, uh, which is a Judeo-Christian kind of framework to our organization. With that being said, you know, at our conference in the past, we've kind of had speakers from you know, the Orthodox Jewish faith, uh, you know, Catholic and, and Protestant speakers as well. So there's a strong faith aspect to it, uh, especially the March for Life, and that guides our principles. But with that being said, you know, we're completely open to uh, to folks of all walks, but we will not compromise from our, our core beliefs there. Got it. So I've heard David Network compared to the Federalist Society, uh, which many people listening are familiar with. Tell me more about that comparison. I mean, how, what all are you offering to the members? Sure thing. So as I alluded to before, for our movement to succeed, our efforts must and have expanded past just the college gates. Um, Peter, something I realized pretty early in my career is that um, there are what I call control points in American society. And these control points are institutions that have an outsized influence on our everyday life. Companies such as Google, BlackRock, Netflix, and Goldman Sachs. Unfortunately, Peter, when I look at what I call the strategic landscape across government, finance, technology, education, and law, conservatives have relinquished control of almost all of these battlegrounds with the exception of law, thanks to the Federalist Society. So to bring it back to your question, we are offering to our members everything in our power to help them succeed in these control points of American society. And what does that look like? I think this is best exemplified through our David Network Careers platform. Within this platform, we connect three groups of people. Um, So that would be first, the undergraduates from elite institutions, second, young professionals like myself, and then third, more established conservatives. So think of like a head of a family office or an MD at a major investment bank. And by connecting these groups of people, we are able to do things like help young conservatives get jobs at influential firms in America, help conservative professionals form conservative groups within those firms, and help conservative business owners and employers find like-minded talent and promote their business. And by bringing together these three age groups of conservatives, if you will, I believe that we can really take a strong first step towards taking back those control points. 
So let's talk about the, the two sides of this. You got the campus piece, and then you allude to the the after campus piece, which is a clearly growing side of it. On the campus part, to the extent that folks can come together and and do things in public, is there pushback on your efforts at these particular ten institutions? Well, look, that's a very interesting question. Um, and to answer it, I would say that the David Network is purposely not an organization that seeks controversy. But don't get me wrong, Peter. We are an organization that is purposeful. Uh, we seek to partner with all conservative organizations on campuses and form coalitions to help them succeed. Now, one of the greatest ways to help conservatives on campus succeed is to actually help them succeed professionally. Um, and there is what I call an insidious phenomenon on campuses that encourage conservatives to self-silence. Um, so take, for instance, myself, right? A you know, working class student from a small steel town in Ohio who becomes the first from their you know, public high school to make it to the Ivy League. I'm a conservative young man, and I want to provide a good future for my family. And that means trying to get that job at Goldman Sachs or whatever, wherever else um, that will be a good financial future. Um, and you know what you need to be able to do that. You need to get into the right fraternities with those connections. You need to get into the right clubs with those connections. Or in other words, you need to have people like you. And there is nothing that college students like less than an outspoken conservative on their campus. So I would say, actually, the situation is much, much worse for women on college campuses as well. Now, you know, I was fortunate to be able to fully embrace and pursue my conservative convictions on campus and get that job that I wanted. But thousands of conservatives across American campuses are not not so lucky or, or just kind of screwed generally. Um, and, and that's where the David Network really comes into play. Uh, we, we can show students on campus that, hey, if you show your true colors and fight the good fight, you won't just not be punished, but you will be rewarded with an incredible future professionally. And we believe that this can help break this culture of self-silence on college campuses. Yeah, it does seem, as you talk about it, that the David Network sounds a bit like a fraternity or a sorority in and of itself, right? I mean, having those connections, I mean, part of frat life is not just having parties. Well, I, I take that back. It is part of like, having parties because you're <laughs> building that social connection. You're building that goodwill. You're building those connections that help you later in life. And, uh, you know, you get the quote unquote secret handshake and and you kind of have the same thing. Is that fair? Is that out, outside of the realm? No, that, that's completely right. Uh, and there is a, a big aspect of just community that's lacking across all levels of the conservative professional life. And that's something that we really try to uh, build and cultivate for our members. And you're doing it increasingly after college as well. And you're helping to lead this effort to connect these alumni and, and build up the careers. Talk to us a little bit more about that. You mentioned a little bit about the platform you've got. Is that a computer platform? I mean, like people log in and are like, uh, a little mini Facebook type deal. Yeah, that's exactly right. Actually, um, so it is a it is a platform right now um, that connects those groups of people. But to to tell you more about it, um, that dynamic of self silencing that I spoke about before um, really sadly starts all over again once you reach the big firms. Um, so, in addition to a job and business opportunities, we form community communities within these firms. So that that isolated conservative suddenly goes to a dinner, a, a conservative dinner for XYZ Investment Bank, 
and sees several MDs at the firm and thinks, wow, you know, I am not alone and maybe I can stand up for what I believe in the workplace. Uh, because with the ever prevalent ESG and DEI initiatives, uh, Lord knows we certainly need that. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's really interesting. I, your point about it kind of starts all over, sadly true. Um, I'm fortunate enough to work in a space where everybody shares my values, and that's really great, but I know that not everybody's blessed in that <laughs> way. Um, so it's a fascinating thing. It's really great. What does the future look like? I mean, you know, you've got this really great thing at 10 schools pulling from those 10 campuses. Is there a vision to expand to different schools or is the goal really to just really deepen the roots and, and grow the work inside those elite schools? Well, that's a good question, Peter. Uh, one we uh, we discuss frequently ourselves. But look, right now we want to stick with the Ivy League, Stanford and MIT for two reasons. Uh, first, we want to stay focused and because we want to do what we do well before we move on to something else. And second, candidly, uh, we don't have the resources to move uh, beyond where we're operating right now, uh, beyond that scope. So look, for a more long-term vision, uh, we want to achieve what I described to you today, which is to take back the control points of American society and empower conservatives at all walks of their professional life to succeed and to be able to live out their true convictions. Well, I think that's an apt summary and uh, and good ambitions lots of there there's no lack of room to continue to grow at these institutions and so i wish you and all of david network great success in that thank you very much sir we certainly appreciate it back when i went to business school one thing i can't recall ever discussing was the value of free markets our next group the adam smith society aims to change that Smithsock, as it is often known, is a project of the Manhattan Institute, an institution you've probably surely heard of as it's one of America's premier think tanks, with Smithsock's chapters at graduate business schools across the country and even a couple in Israel. The Adam Smith Society is training future business leaders on how to live out free market values that allow everyone to flourish. And so I am so excited to talk to Yael Hungerford, uh, Smithsock's executive director, Yael, was my experience unique? I mean, do MBA programs out there, are any of them really giving a big, strong emphasis towards free markets and the importance of actually leading a business from that perspective? Hi, Peter. Um, first, let me say it's great to be here, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. To answer your question, business schools aim to teach about business, not public policy or political theory. So it's not surprising to me that they don't provide an education on the value of free markets. We think it's important for rising business leaders to understand the foundations upon which mass flourishing rests. And so our programming aims to supplement a business education by providing an overview of free market principles and the contributions of free enterprise to promoting economic opportunity, widespread prosperity, and political liberty. Now, in recent years, arguments for stakeholder capitalism and ESG investing have gained prominence on top business school campuses, making our efforts more important than ever. Perhaps surprisingly, we now, now find that it's necessary to host events on MBA campuses that defend the profit motive and shareholder value maximization. By a similar token, with the rise of cancel culture and the politicization of campuses and workplaces alike, our members have also reported feeling increasingly silenced in these spaces over the past few years. Given this context, we are especially proud that we can provide a safe space for the free exchange of ideas on campuses and beyond. You wouldn't think that these would be the controversial ideas at business school. You think that would be the one carve out for where you can talk about this stuff. And uh, yeah, 
too often it's not. So so you have a chapter model. So talk to us about these chapters. What's going on at them around the country? And, and how many chapters are there now? We have 35 chapters on top business school campuses, 33 in this country, and two in Israel. And while we are located on MBA campuses, chapter membership is open to any interested graduate student. Our chapters host events throughout the academic year that provide a free market perspective on today's pressing public policy challenges in the form of single speaker events, book talks, panels, and debates. Common topics that are explored in these events include, for example, free trade and whether it has been good for America and American workers, challenges posed by big tech and how to understand the current administration's antitrust efforts against tech companies, inflation and how fiscal monetary policy contributed to the inflation we've all been experiencing, and shareholder primacy and the benefits of accountability that the profit motive promotes. Our chapters source speakers for events from among the dozens of thought leaders in our orbit, from industry, academia, government, and the media. And we work closely with our chapter leaders and provide them with all the tools they need to plan and execute successful and impactful events. And are you finding that those events are creating controversy on campus? Are you facing some of this, the cancellation or the protests or any of these things that some, you know, and you're not even, I hesitate to say these are conservative events. I mean, these are philosophically free market events. And so maybe maybe you're more immune to it. By and large, our events concern economic issues, not as much cultural issues. So um, we are more immune to it. Um, That said, even when we do touch more controversial issues, I've been surprised by the careful, thoughtful manner in which the events have been held and that we haven't had um, protests or things to be worried about. For example, just to give an example, um, Heather McDonald, who's one of the Manhattan Institute fellows, participated in an, an event that our MIT Sloan chapter hosted last spring on DEI efforts, both in academia and in um, the workplace. And that's a topic that could, it was, it's relevant to our mission. Um, it could, it's more controversial and could have um, gone poorly. But instead, she participated in an event, uh, there was a panel discussion. It was very, everyone was respectful and reasonable on the panel. She made her strong case. She heard the disagreements from the other side. There were over 300 people in the room that, that listened to this um, event. The event is the recording of the event has seen there have been tens of thousands of views online of this event. Uh-huh. I think this is a real um, important accomplishment that we we're, we are actually fostering thoughtful, reasonable discussion in way in, that shouldn't be remarkable in academic settings, but today is more remarkable in academic settings. Similarly, we have chapters on campuses that are known as progressive campuses, and we can get a tech. VC to talk about the concern of um, unfunded entitlements in front of a crowd of 150 students at Berkeley, I think that is a real win for us also. Yeah, absolutely. And how deep is the penetration on these campuses in in these programs? I mean, do you have a majority of the enrolled students, a a strong plurality, a small sheltered minority? What, What is it? We have multiple layers of engagement. Um, On the one hand, thousands of students attend our campus events each year. Through these events, we are influencing the wider campus discourse. At a deeper level, we have our chapter members who engage more seriously with our materials and comprise our campus communities. Our chapters range in size, as do business schools themselves. Our chapters can be comprised of as few as 10 students at a smaller school to over 200 students at some of the larger schools. 
One of our primary goals is to attract ambitious leaders who are going to have an outsized impact as they rise in their careers. So ultimately, we are more interested in quality over quantity. We invest most in those students whom we identify as leaders, students who are most engaged with our mission and who act as our ambassadors on campus. For this segment of our student members, we offer year-long educational enhancements, including private calls with industry and thought leaders. We also gather for an annual retreat where we learn together while building our community by connecting our members with others from across the country. It is this latter group, our student leaders, who've gone through our retreat and our educational enhancements, whom we maintain the strongest relationships with in the years after graduation. Well, and that that's a good pivot to, to my next question, because Smithsock has actually evolved a bit over time. I, I came to several of the conferences where you bring all your people together a few years ago, pre-pandemic. And since that time, Manhattan has changed. It's got new leadership. Um, the Smithsock has changed. You've come in. And some of your other programs have shifted. And so Smithsock is, is, should we say, much more, not just on the MBA campuses, but a broader young professionals program, particularly as you've got an alumni. So talk to us about how it is today beyond the campuses. So now that we've been around for over 10 years, we have thousands of alumni around the country. We host regular virtual programming for this community, as well as one-off events in cities around the country. We also regularly connect our alumni with their local MBA chapters, um, helping again to strengthen and build our community. As with our students, when it comes to these members, our primary focus is on our leadership initiatives. We have a community of deeply engaged alumni and other rising professional members who meet regularly in New York and for an annual retreat and who have become integral members of the larger Manhattan Institute community. We also gather our most engaged alumni from outside of New York on an annual basis and plan to do more on this front going forward. When it comes to our alumni leadership initiatives, one of our goals is to cultivate the next generation of business leaders and philanthropists who will lead free market institutions like the Manhattan Institute in the coming years. Is there a pretty strong concentration of folks in New York City? Yes, that's where our home base is um, because of the Manhattan Institute. And so that is where the strongest concentration of our most engaged members are. But we also have many deeply engaged members across the country. So how do you see the impact of your work? I mean, you, you have these now you've got 10 years worth of alumni. Uh, are there any really great examples of folks coming out of this really driving change and actually changing the tenor of organizations in a more free market direction? We have a really impressive community of alumni who care deeply about our mission and are already impacting the world around them. So yes, um, we have members who've risen to top positions at firms across many industries, um, especially in tech, finance, and corporate America. Our members are also rising philanthropists who support free market causes across the country, which I'm happy um, and proud to see. As it turns out, we also have many members interested in public service. Several have run for public office, some successfully, and others have served as advisors to candidates and to elected officials. I think these successes are just the beginning. Our community is comprised of ambitious and public-spirited members who understand the foundations of the free market and the potential for competition to promote opportunity and prosperity for all. And I expect our efforts are going to pay dividends for our mission for years to come. That's great. Well, it's it's a fascinating program, an important program, and uh, one that I, I do hope continues to grow. Yael, thank you so much for, for joining us and, and helping us understand Smithsock. Thanks, Peter. It's great to be here. One of the things that struck me in these conversations was Noah's reference to the self-silencing that happens in college. 
And then that the self-silencing starts all over again after college. While thankfully Forge and Smithsock and David Network are there to help the rising generation find their voice as they navigate college, business school, and the start of work life. Those three groups complement nicely other organizations that we have talked with in the past on giving ventures, such as America's Future, Teneo, and the Young Professionals Program at Washington Policy Center that we heard from in episode 19, or more college-focused groups from episode 6, Young America's Foundation, FEE, ISI, Fund for American Studies, and then there's Turning Point USA, Young Americans for Liberty, and Students for Liberty that we heard about in the three-part episode 23. All of that is to say, this is a really important issue. All of these are excellent groups, and if there wasn't such a huge need for important advancement in this area, then they would not all be surviving in this fight. If your philanthropy is geared toward ensuring that future generations protect and preserve the values of liberty and freedom, you are well served by this vibrant market of strong organizations that you can use your philanthropic dollar to support. Well, what are your thoughts? You're always welcome to email me personally at plipsit at donorstrust.org. So many people listen to the show, and frankly, I don't know all of you. Uh, I only know a few of you. I would love to hear what you think about Giving Ventures and how it can better serve you. Also, of course, as we approach year's end, many people are thinking about how to better structure their charitable giving. And if that is you, please be in touch to talk with us at Donors Trust to see if we might be the right partner, if we're not already a partner of yours, to help simplify, protect, and grow your charitable efforts. I look forward to being back with you in the next episode. Until then, thank you for being a giver. Let's talk more soon.